He 
himself to the body and for the interest of the body becomes attached to various activities. Sometimes he is under the influence of the mode of ignorance, sometimes the mode of passion, and sometimes the mode of goodness. The living entity has thus different types of bodies under the modes of material nature. These different types of bodies are explained in Bhagavad Gita 1322. Purushakriti stohi bhute prakriti chandunan karana muna sangosyo sata sadhyoni jangasu. The living entity in material nature follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with that material nature. Thus, he meets with good and evil among various species. Because of associating with the modes of nature, the living entity gets a variety of bodies from the 8,400,000 forms. It is clearly explained herein that the living entity has a little independence, indicated by the word svadhik, meaning one who can see his own welfare. The living entity's constitutional position is very minute, and he can be misled in his choice. He may choose to imitate the Supreme Personality of Godhead. A servant may desire to start his own business and imitate his master. Sometimes he is a failure and sometimes he is successful. Similarly, the living entity, part and parcel of Krishna, starts his own business to compete with the Lord. There are many competitors out to attain the Lord's position, but to become like the Lord is not at all possible. Thus, there is a great struggle for existence with the material world. As different parties try to imitate the Lord, material bondage is caused by deviation from the service of the Lord and attempts to imitate Him. The Lord is imitated by Mayavadi philosophers who try to become one with the Lord in an artificial way. When the Mayavadi philosophers think of themselves as liberated, they are under the delusion of mental concoction. No one can become one with or equal to God. To imagine this is to continue one's bondage in material existence. Because of being contaminated by 
uh, material conditioning, he hasn't fully understood the allegory. So then, uh, Narada is slowly, slowly undergoing all the, the different aspects of the allegory and explains to him what the different symbols stand for and the different, who the different characters are in the allegory. And then he also starts to explain how the, the events, how they went about, about whatever happened, why it happened in the allegory along with the characters and along with uh, King Ranjan. So in that he has mentioned coming um, to be a different uh, symbols and then he talked, we heard about the effects of time in the material world and we heard about old age, how it affects the living entity and then yesterday um, we heard how disease affects the living entity during the material world. And then today, Narad Muni is explaining to um, King Prithimbari the, the effect of three modes of material nature. So this is very nicely explained by Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada says that this material energy, she's an amazing artist. And he, he says that just like there are three primary colors, yellow, um, red, and blue. So from these primary colors, so many different shades and hues of colors can be created. So with these three, Prabhupada says multiply them with three, and then it's nine, and then nine times nine is eighty-one, and from there hundreds and millions of hues and colors can be created. So similarly, Prabhupada says that uh, the material energy she mixes these three different modes of material nature, Sattvaguna, Rajaguna, and Tamaguna. She mixes them in different proportions and in different intensities to create so many different varieties of individuals. And this um, Sattvaguna, Rajaguna, Tamaguna, the mode of goodness, passion, and ignorance, Sri Lankapal explains that uh, Guna means a rope. In Sanskrit, the meaning of Guna is rope. And then he also uses the word um, modes to explain the gunas and then he uses the word qualities to explain these gunas. So in a sense it means that there are different um, entities who are given different kinds of characteristics, their personalities are different because of having different modes of material nature in different proportions and different ratios and varieties. So then, that's how we see that some individuals are very expert in a, in a particular field and they're very outgoing, they're very um, enthusiastic, while others are very quiet and shy by nature. And the third, are, some are very um, good in um, leadership, they have leadership qualities. Others are very good at working on their own, while yet another kind of personalities, um, they like to work in a, in a team together with others. So in this way, there's a huge variety of living entities with different characteristics that have been created by the material energy using these three modes. So the mode of goodness, as you all know, is, is the mode that is out of the three modes, the most desirable mode as devotees because it is, it, it um, encourages uh, the situation which is conducive for devotion. Whereas Shri Prabhupada warns that mode of passion is actually over activity and it is over indulgence.
in um, materialistic tasks. So, the presiding deity for mode of passion is um, Lord Brahma. And he is able to create so many species of life. 8,400,000 species of life. And then the presiding deity for mode of ignorance is Lord Shiva. And presiding deity for um, mode of goodness is Lord Vishnu. So mode of goodness um, symbolizes contentment and wisdom. So anyone in mode of goodness would not be too engaged in aggressively engaged in material pursuits. So he is someone who can be satisfied with whatever they have. And they have uh, an inquisitiveness for knowledge. They learn and then they satisfy with whatever they are. They are not very fond of living a very um, fast-paced life. They're these people prefer to live in um, countryside areas and they live close to nature because nature is considered a mode of goodness. Forests, lush green trees, gardens, hills, rivers. So these places are a mode of goodness. Whereas one who is more covered with mode of fashion who want to live in a, in a metropolitan city with fast-paced life where the first thing you do in the morning is you sit on the breakfast table, you turn on your laptop, you're looking at your stock markets and shares and where they have gone up or down today, and then you're munching on your breakfast. So there is no concept of having a quiet time early in the morning for one whose mind is too much um, racing, racing like a horse all the time. So the mind, the minute you wake up, the mind is already thinking about 200 things that you need to do. So the mind is uh, not able to um, contemplate or reflect on how the day has to go because there are only too many things so you, you need to start to get to work quickly. So those who are in a mode of fashion, they are mostly, it is said, working for their sense gratification. They spend most of their hours, first of all, working hard to acquire the things that they need for their sense gratification and then the rest of the time they spend in um, uh, using those things for their sense gratification. And it is um, characterized with unlimited desires and hard work to fulfill those desires. But the end result of, uh, of someone in modern fashion is that um, you're always in anxiety and because the sensual pleasures are mostly <coughs> temporary, the short-lived, so the end result is pain. It's um, disappointment. And it is mentioned that those who are in mode of fashion, they mostly, um, their nature is mostly envious and they're proud. They're proud of themselves. Whereas those in mode of goodness, they will um, want to live a slow-paced life where there is not too much to do in a day. They like to plan their day. They enjoy more being close to nature. And they are satisfied. And there is not so much fear in their mind of the unknown. They live in the present. They dwell neither too much in the past, nor do they worry too much about the future. And this, and one more goodness is characterized by satisfaction and simplicity. And foods in more goodness are wholesome, juicy, fatty. But, and then those who are in more of ignorance, they usually are characterized by laziness. And they neither live in the um, present, nor in the future, nor in the past. Because they are not able to discriminate between 
what is right and what is wrong, and they're always um, delaying things. They're always delaying things. And tendency to be unclean, to be lazy, to sleep all the time, most of the time. So these three uh, modes of material nature dominate us. And this is my space in Bhagavad Gita. They are competing to control our minds. Sometimes mode of goodness overtakes, mode of passion and ignorance, and the living entity behaves in a more reasonable manner, and sometimes mode of passion overtakes us, and sometimes mode of ignorance. So in this way, the three modes of material nature are competing with each other to take control of the living entity. So Bhakshina Rupa says that even if we are in mode of goodness, we are still bound. Either of the three modes cannot liberate us, they in fact bind us to this material world. The mode of goodness is gold chains, he says, and mode of fashion, you're still in silver chains, and mode of ignorance is iron chains. But we are shackled, we are bound in this material world, be it mode of goodness, fashion, or ignorance. So the modes of material nature, they bind us, and the more we associate with them, the more we uh, are influenced by them and let them sway us, then the more we become degraded. Because Sri mentions that mode of passion is actually very dangerous. If we continue to stay in mode of passion, we are bound to fall in ignorance one day. So how does one act when one is under the modes of material nature? There is, a, there is a pastime in Mahabharata of Barbarika. Barbarika was the son of Gadotkach and Gadotkach is the son of Bhim, Bhimsen and Dilba. So, um, Barbarika was an extremely powerful warrior. And um, from his early childhood, he had heard a lot of glories of Lord Krishna. And Dilba uh, had told him that Anybody who is killed by Lord Krishna, Lord Krishna is so merciful that such a person also gets liberated. So, Barbarika, being a very powerful warrior, had the desire to see the Lord. So, when the battle of Kurukshetra was being about to be fought, the plans were going on, so he was thinking how he can fight. And he decided that he will fight on the side of the weaker army. Now we know that the Pandavas only had seven and Shogi Sena soldiers and there is the Kauravas at eleven. So initially, um, the Pandavas were seen to weaker because they had lesser number of people in the army. But, um, so Lord Krishna approached Barbarika and he said that I will fight on the side of the weaker army and then if the other side becomes weak, I will move. So then Lord Krishna realized that if he is going to keep oscillating like this between the two armies and then the two sides and fighting from both sides, because of the fact that he is very powerful, nobody else will remain. He will kill everyone on both sides, including all the leaders. And he is only, only one who will remain. And then Lord, the Lord realized that it's not a very good desirable result of the war. You see, because Barbarika was blessed he had an extreme austerities and he had gained three arrows. And those arrows were so powerful that one arrow could go out and target and mark all the targets.
go out and kill all those targets. And that's it, that's done. So, but Rinpoche actually said that it's because uh, when Lord Krishna was asking everyone how long will the war last, somebody said 18 days, somebody said 20 days, 28 days, he was only one moment. He said, I have three arrows, and one of them will go and mark all the targets, the second one will go and kill all the targets. So, and so that's why um, Lord Krishna realized that it was not a good idea to have him in the war on either of the sides. So then Lord Krishna went to him and in the guise of a Brahmin. So he tricked him and then um, he asked Bhattarika to give donate his head to the Lord. And so then Bhattarika realized that this Brahmin was not an ordinary Brahmin, so he requests the Brahmin to redeem his original identity. So when he understands that this is none other than the Lord himself, he's very pleased and he offers prayers to the Lord. And then he's very happy to donate his head to the Lord. And then he also says that, um, that he has one desire. So he requests Lord Krishna, he says, I have a desire that I want to see the battle of Kurukshetra. I want to see everything that happens in the battle of Kurukshetra. Will you be able to give me that <coughs> opportunity? So the Lord gives him divine vision and he places his head on a hill, on a tree, from where Barbarita can see all the scenes happening in the war. So in this way, Barbarika gets an opportunity to see everything that happens in the battle. So at the end of the battle, when the Pandavas are um, victorious, they are rejoicing, and they are actually discussing with each other how they have um, fought and who fought most bravely. They were discussing all this. And then suddenly they hear loud laughter. And they're wondering, who's this person laughing? Who's not? So they start moving towards the source of that laughter. And then, um, then they get closer, and then Krishna tells them this is Barbarita, and he has witnessed the entire battle. So he knows who has fought bravely. And then, um, so they ask him, so you've seen the entire battle, who do you think has fought bravely and, and who surpassed, and you know, we've been victorious. So. And he says, he says, you all think you are the ones who killed Jayatratha, Karna, Bhishma, Dronacharya. He says, no. He says, everywhere I saw the Lord's Sudarshan Chakra. In front of the arrows were the Lord's Sudarshan Chakra and the Lord's Sudarshan Chakra was the one that was killing all your enemies. And that's how we have become victorious. And then we also see in, uh, in Srimad Bhagavatam, Arjuna actually laments. In chapter 15 of Canto 1, in verse 21, Arjuna actually says that this is the same Gandhiva, and I have the same chariot with the same horses, and this is the same me, Arjuna, who was a great powerful warrior, and all the kings in the world used to pay obeisances to me. But now that Krishna is gone, I have no powers left. Everything is null and void. So he actually realizes that all the powers that he had were coming from Krishna. And Shri Prabhupada explains in that purport that all the energies and powers come from the Lord and we have them as long as he desires us to have them. And then he withdraws them, then we have nothing. So in this sense, we are all very powerless, insignificant living entities. But what happens is in a day-to-day -day activities, when we do any projects, any tasks, 
we become so involved in them that we start thinking that we are the doers. We are actually doing and we have the skills and the abilities which has made the task possible. But we tend to forget that we are the doers and yet we are not the doers. Which means we seem to be using our intelligence and our mind and we seem to be using our arms and legs to do something. But the result is only created by the material energy. Whatever has to be there is predestined. As Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita in 514, he says, the result of your actions has already been created by the material energy. You are not the one who is causing it to happen. You are just making efforts, but the result is given by the material energy based on your past karma and based on the three modes of material nature. So in this way, we get uh, covered and uh, the Lord explains. He says, Prakriti Kriya Marani Gunai Kalpani Sarvasha Ahamkara Vimunatma Karta Ahamimunayate The bewildered spirit soul under the influence of false ego considers itself to be the modes of, act- of, of activities which in actuality are carried out by nature, by the three modes of material. So you see, he is clearly saying that be mindful that because you are covered over by a false ego, because you want to take the credit of doing something, then you 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 think that yes, I have done this. You claim to have uh, accomplished tasks, to have done projects, to have worked hard, and then you want to take credit. But that's not true. You are only acting under three modes, and the results is given to you by the modes of material nature. So, we all know that Maya is very strong. And Sri Prabhupada has always warned us and is actually concerned that my devotees are not scared enough of Maya. You see, and he himself says that he prays to Srimati Radharani that please protect me from the governors of Maya. Please protect me from becoming influenced by Maya Devi. So, when he can be so um, concerned, then what is our capacity? So, um, in that sense, there is. So, one day, Narayani, we know that he is Narayani devotee of the Lord. So, he once goes to Lord Krishna and he says, My dear Lord, I want to see how your material energy works. It is covered over all the human entities. I want to see how it works. So, Lord Krishna says, Do you really want to see how it works? Um, he says, yes, I want to see how it works. And okay, they both go for a walk and they sit down under the shade of the tree. And after some time, um, Lord Krishna says to Narayani that I am thirsty, can you please get me a glass of water? And Narayani is more than happy to serve the Lord. So he starts to walk through the forest and then he gets to the nearest um, village. And then the first house he sees knocks at the door and he took in, in the intention to ask for a glass of water. But the minute the door opened, there he sees standing a beautiful young lady. And he becomes so fascinated by her that guess what he asks her? He says, Will you marry me? <laughs> and he ends up getting married. And then they start living they together over there arranging their family life and their children happen, the children grow up, 
and we are investigating the children, feeding the children, and Narayanmuni has beautiful um, fields, green fields, and he has cattle. So he's busy in his family life, and the children grow up, they get married, and he has grandchildren. So both Narayanmuni and his wife are um, talking to themselves how wonderful it is to have children and grandchildren. Isn't this the most beautiful thing in our lives? And uh, so they're both very happy. And then one day, a huge flood happens. A huge flood. All his fields get washed away. Narayan, his cattle get washed away. Even his house gets washed away. His wife, his children, and even grandchildren, everybody gets washed away. The whole village is inundated with water, and there's nothing else to be seen except water. So Narayan is helplessly watching all this, desperately trying to save one, then the other, then the other, but no one can be saved. And then finally, when he's in that complete helpless state, he just falls down on his knees and cries desperately. And then he calls, Krishna, Krishna. And then in a moment, the Lord appears in front of him and says, Narada, where is my glass of water? And then suddenly Narada realizes, that it was actually nothing. It was the Lord's Maya. All that had just not happened. So then the Lord says, so now you have seen how my Maya works? And then I says, yes, my dear Lord, I have seen enough. So, he, so this is how it is, that even Narayanmuni, when they got covered over with Maya, then this is how he was entangled. And it was only, it's only said that it was only a few minutes, like 30 minutes or 45 minutes had passed. But for him, his whole life had changed and he had children and grandchildren and everything was around him. The whole material situation. See, this is how Maya is. Things come and things go. You know, it's like different scenes in our lives that come and go. So the power of Maya, we, we cannot deny, but we can pray. Just like Shiva Prabhupada, he himself prays Radharani to protect him from the material energy of the Lord. So sincerely, we also should pray to Shri Radharani to protect us. But then at the same time, although we can uh, make those prayers and ask um, the Lord and Shri Radharani to protect us, there's also this other problem that we have. So, um, as devotees, although we are um, very um, we are practicing, and but then at the same time, we are also we are kaun mishabhaktas. We have material desires, so we are on two boats, two parallel boats. So one time there is there is this devotee. He uh, he is very sincere to Guru Maharaj, and his Guru Maharaj lives in the forest. So every morning from his village, he goes out to see to see his. Guru Maharaj to hear his teachings and to do some seva for him. And then he comes back home and then he's busy in his daily duties. And he does that every day without fail. So one day he thinks that he's going to ask a question. There is a burning question in his heart which he has been thinking of for many years. And he decides to ask this question to his Guru Maharaj. So he he asks Guru Maharaj that morning, he says, he says, Maharaj, why is it so hard when, when the goal is so attractive? Why is it so hard for us to attain it? You see, 
when bhakti is so enlightening, why is it so hard for us to completely surrender? So then, if Guru says, yes, it's a very good question, let me, let me think about it, let me reflect on it, so when you come tomorrow morning, I'll give you the answer. <coughs> so the disciple is very happy, he, he actually is looking forward to it, so during the day also he's meditating on it, that his Guru will now tell him the secret, he'll tell him the answer, that's the question that has been looking forward, so then the next morning he's very eager, so he's, he decides, he, is, he starts to go towards his Guru's ashram. So while he's still on his way, he hears, he hears his voice, help, help, and he's wondering who it is, and the Lord is asking for help. And then he again hears, help, help, and then he suddenly realizes that this is none other than his own Guru calling for help. So he gets a bit worried, what happened to his Guru? Maybe there was a wild animal there, or maybe he fell into a well, or what's wrong? So he starts moving into the, towards the the sound of his guru. Anyway, he comes into that clearing where his guru is, and his guru is still saying, help, help. So when he reaches there near his guru Maharaj, she sees that his guru is clinging to a tree. He's, he's hugged the tree, trunk, and he's crying, help, help. And then the disciple is a bit confused, but then he starts to pull his waist, he tries to get his arms off, legs off, try to get off. And, uh, and the Guru is still saying, help, help, help. So now then after some time, he, he keeps pulling, he's trying to get him off. And then the Fanji Guru comes to Jesus in front of him and he stands. He says, now we know why it is so hard. He says, on one side, we keep calling Krishna. And the other side, we keep falling into mind. We have our material engagements, we have our material pursuits. And says, Krishna, save us, save us. And then Krishna comes to say, no, no, just wait for a moment, let me just finish this. You know, so this is, he says, this is the situation that um, on one side we are calling for Krishna to help us, and when the Lord comes to help us, then we are saying, just wait for a moment, let me just finish this, this is too good for me to give up, let me just uh, a little, little bit more, uh, you know, you come later. So this is the situation. We are actually, it's like riding into boats. And we are bound to drown if we do that. So we have to consciously, and Shiva also explains that we have to consciously give up the activities that are not um, conducive to a devotional life. And we have to consciously give up those pursuits that are taking our time away from Krishna conscious activities. And we have to more and more engage in devotional service of the Lord. And that will, so it's, it's a parallel process. On one side, we engage in devotional activities. On the other side, we consciously, consciously <coughs> give up those non-devotional activities. And activities that are uh, of the nature that they are uh, sinful activities. So when we work this way, then Krishna will show his mercy on us and we will be able to surrender more. So Srila Prabhupada says <coughs> that <coughs> when we have the loving service in our heart, then the mode of passion and ignorance will automatically go away. And he, he says that mode of passion, mode of ignorance, is, they are very dangerous. They, have, they will degrade us more and more. They will degrade us, degrade us further and further into hellish condition of life. 
You see, because from a mode of passion, we will fall into mode of ignorance. And one who is mode of ignorance will only go to the animal kingdom, to the lower species of life. So as it's explained in Bhagavatam, so as soon as loving emotional service is established in the heart, the effects of more passion and ignorance are removed from the heart. They disappear from the heart. And the devotee is established in goodness and is completely happy. So it is only devotional service which can actually help us to remove the effects of motive passion. And what are the effects of motive passion? Lust, desire, and anger. You see, as living entities, we are either lamenting on what happened in the past, or we are desiring to see what we may get in the future. We are never living in the present. And that is a sign of motive passion. A person who is in more goodness is, lives in the present, neither worries too much about what happens in the past, nor expects too much from what will happen in the future. That is a person in mode of goodness. But someone in mode of passion is always worried, either about the past or about the future. So, so the Lord, that's how Shilapuka explains in the purport of this text, that we have to come to the stage where we can engage in loving devotional service. Whatever services we are doing for, this, for the Lord, do them with your full heart, with full dedication. So then we are giving the opportunity to the Lord to work on us. So, so then the mode of passion and ignorance will be cleansed from our hearts. And in this way, we can be situated in pure goodness. So Srila Prabhupada says that the stage of pure goodness is the only stage when the whatever actions we perform, the reactions will not be there. Otherwise, whenever we perform any action, there is always a reaction to it. Some results will be there and they will further bind us. If it is in mode of goodness, we've done some charity, some bias activity, we are still bound, we will still have to come back for that. If you've done something in mode of passion, some work, something to gain more, then again we will have to come back. So therefore there is no release, even if we are in mode of goodness. So he says that we have to free ourselves from these modes and then come to a situation where we do not get any resultant activity and the three modes then cannot act on us. So the more we are engaged in devotional activities, there will be no reactions, no, no material reactions to that. And we progress spiritually. And that is the only way of cutting the knots of the fruited reactions of work. So I will stop here and see if there are any questions, any comments, suggestions.
Dora can be negative influences utilizing its emotional settings. So that basically is the reflection that I'm trying to mm -hmm. request so to expand a little bit more on that. So how to, how to come the overcome the world's material nature? The negative effects. The, the negative effects. You see, we all have our individual natures. We, we can't change them. Whatever some reason is very active by nature, or somebody is very used to doing a lot of physical activity. So we have to find devotional service which is conducive to our nature. You know, someone we really focus and do more academic kind of work. So we need to find some service which is conducive to our nature and then sincerely engage ourselves in that service. And then that is how we can um, counteract the effects because we can't stop doing our actions. You see, the spirit soul is active by nature. We are not passive. We are not complacent. We have to have something to do. So when we do um, devotional service to the Lord, we are still active. And we have varieties of devotional service that can engage people of different temperaments, different natures, different characteristics. They can all be engaged. So, like I said, we must engage ourselves in loving devotional service to the Lord, according to our nature, our proclivity. And as we do that, then we are we are still doing uh, activities, we are still active, and yet the negative effect of the modes of nature will not influence us. And also, for example, we can justify also our tendencies and desires by saying, oh, I can use it for Krishna. But there's subtle difference between I can use it for Krishna and enjoy at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I see in um, Krishna himself says in Bhagavad Gita that um, there is a verse which he says, Yes, yes, I guess I'm Kam Sankar Pavarjita, Gyana Vidanta Karmana, Kam Abhupandita. Yes, yes, are the ones who, whose all his endeavors are completely devoid of desire of sense gratification. So we have to come to a stage where we can be completely devoid of desire of sense gratification, but obviously we are not at that stage yet. So that's why sometimes our devotional service is also mixed with a little bit of desire for enjoyment. But then we must keep doing it because eventually it will become cleansed of our desire of um, enjoyment for ourselves and that service becomes completely dedicated to the Lord. Then that um, that, that tiny desire that we have, the mix of our own enjoyment that is involved in that is not there. Like for example, sometimes when you sing in Kirtan for the Lord, you may think, yes, we're doing it for the pleasure of the Lord. But then somewhere in the heart there could be a little um, desire to think or to understand how everybody will think I'm a good singer. But then it is said that you still keep doing it because slowly and slowly you will become purified of the desire and then you will completely do it um, just for the pleasure of the Lord. Quite, quite interesting the part of the translation of the text where he said that because you forget the worship of the living entity, forget the, the, the master, so the influence of the most of nature take place. Yes. Because they forget. Yes, that's the whole reason why we are Because we are forgetful of Krishna and we are envious of Him and we want to enjoy independently. That's the reason we end up in this material world.
simple things around nature. So this is these are the these are the pieces of lifestyle of someone who's in in, in more goodness, who's satisfied with whatever they have. You see, so everyone of us can make a choice, right? So then we can make conscious choices to either associate with more goodness or more passion or ignorance. And then there will not be so much suffering. Yeah? So then more of uh, then how can the modes affect us? Because we've chosen to be on one mode, the other mode cannot affect us so much. They still can, but like we said, we have to make a conscious effort also. To avoid the negative modes, uh, the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance, especially. Have I answered the question to you? Anybody else would like to answer this question? Yes, Lose to more fashion. Okay, 
negative aspect and I just wanted to ask in relation to Suda Satwa. Can we understand that Suda Satwa is the use of the modes of nature according to necessity and necessity? Use modes of nature according to necessity. In devotional service. In devotional service. So, I mean, yes, in modes of material nature, as I mentioned, give us particular personality characteristics and traits, and we can use them in the service of the Lord. There is no other part of Because we are not obviously at the stage of Shuddha so we need to, uh, whatever situation we are in, so Prabhupada never wanted us to first become perfect people, perfect brahmins. He wanted all of us to chant. When Prabhupada went to the West, he, he just told everybody to chant. He just went and started chanting under a tree. And then he engaged everybody, even those who were intoxicated, he didn't see their qualifications, he engaged. So similarly, we may be in different modes, we may be influenced by different modes, we may be engaged in all sorts of activities otherwise. But engage in devotional service. And that's why that's what Shilpa says in text 1 to 19. That when we engage in devotional service, loving service to the Lord, then there is um, a greater chance that the Lord will slowly, slowly um, cleanse the heart of all the hankering, lust, hankering, and desire that arises out of the most of passion and ignorance. Thank you. Thank you.